Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. I apologize, I've I've lost my voice. I went I went partying with some boarding school friends over the weekend and I, I don't understand what they did, but I've lost my voice. Uh, co-hosting with me as usual is Phoenix, and we have two guests. Our first guest is David Hundane. David is a political journalist and publisher of the West Africa Weekly. Our second guest is Andrew Gold. Uh, Andrew works for the Nigerian government. We're going to be discussing three stories this week. First will be the declaration by Bola Tinubu that he would like to succeed Buhari in 2023. Secondly, we'll discuss Buhari's decision to reverse the Twitter ban. And thirdly, we'll discuss the killings of over 200 people in Zamfara State. So firstly to Phoenix, Bola Tinubu has finally come out. Last week, we were discussing whether or not uh, Vice President Oshibanjo would come into the race. Now, Bola has stepped out. What do you make of his declaration? And what do you think are his, his prospects of getting the APC tickets? Hi, Michael. And uh, hi, David and Andrew. Thanks for joining us this week. And hello, listeners. Um, well, it, it's, how do we put it? It was no surprise. Uh, we've been hearing it for a long time. We've heard about the what I call an unholy alliance that they, that they put together in uh, 2014 towards the 2015 elections. And, and it was always clear that this was the kind of uh, um, politicking that he did uh, to, to take turns. Now, of course, I do not put much stock in his candidacy. I mean, to your question, do I think he can come out of the APC, I think anything is possible. We know that uh, Bola Metinibu is one that is not afraid to, to spend um, um, money towards elections. Uh, and we also know that he of the bullion van fame. I mean, we saw what happened during the last elections and, and how two bullion vans were, were driven into his compound. So he's not, he's, He's not shy to, to throw that uh, his ill-gotten wealth around. We know that he, he, I also believe very strongly that he is very ready for scorched earth tactics this, this time around. He's he, doing his declaration. He did mention that it's his life and long ambition and he's going to pursue it. I mean, this is a man that is on his last legs. What else does he have to fight for? So I'm sure he will put everything that he has into this. I have a theory that the, the game plan that he's trying to put together is going to involve the very worst of politicking in Nigeria. He will expect that the primary opposition against him will come from the South. And, and the expectation is that it will probably be from the South East, which means that it is likely to be a Christian. So I expect Bola Tsunubu to, to, to be a med in the North go there and, and you know and, poly, and and do his uh, campaign on the basis of religion and try to push that trope there and then come to the southwest and try to use that familiar yoruba versus Igbo, whatever comes out from that side of the, of the country and, and that's going to be what he's going to do allied with his of course with all the thugs at his disposal and all that so so nigerians should be ready that the 2023 elections is not going to be child's play. And uh, now that he's thrown his heart into the ring, uh, the party has truly begun. Thank you, Phoenix. Andrew, I want to get your thoughts. A number of people have said that even though Bolatinubu might get the ABC ticket, as Phoenix says, a number of people have said Bolatinubu is not the kind of person that Nigeria should have as president, and is also not, not the kind of person that the APC should be selecting as their candidate. So what do you think, Andrew? Is, is Bolatinibu a good candidate in your view? Once again, uh, good evening. Uh, for me, 
I first of all want to say, every Nigerian who is qualified to contest an election should be allowed. For me, is Bola Amber Tinubu qualified by virtue of Nigeria constitution? The answer is yes. So I won't bore you by giving you stories. It is our time as Nigerian citizens, we play po open politics, politics of clean mind. Whoever has the ambition to come out wherever you are from, whatever is your tribe, your religion, it is time we have to come, we don't blow the care. Once you are qualified by virtue of the Nigeria constitution, come out and allow the electorate to vote for whoever they want to vote for. We have spent a lot of time discussing personal issues of politicians. It is time we need to go beyond it. Let us open up these candidates. What did you have for us? Instead of us maligning people, you are this, you are that. I am more interested in a lot of Nigerians coming out to contest, wherever they are from, whether you are a youth, you are an adult, irrespective of your tribe, your religion, I don't care. It is time we allow people to make their choice. So what I will vote for, what I will vouch for, what I'm calling for and what I will campaign for is for every Nigerian who really wants for us to grow, who wants us to leave the level we are to a level where we are free to choose our candidates, irrespective of your antecedents. If we allow the system to be open, you like Bola Tinubu, you vote for him. I don't like him, I will not vote for him. You like any other candidate, you vote for him. I don't like it, I will not vote for him. What we need to be doing now is to press so that the process leading to the elections will be free and fair. So that whoever emerges at the end of the day, we know that is the candidate that Nigerians voted for. So let me tell you the truth. We are really missing a mark here. Since Bolatinibu declared his ambition, all attention is now Bolatinibu. What about others? Is Bolatinibu the only candidate? If I, for me, I feel we are giving a lot of attention to him already. So please, let us open up the space. Let us discuss 2020, no tension, not the issue of all this. In fact, we are, we are already, what, what will I put it? We're already heating up the system even before the elections. So for me, Tinubu is free to contest. If Nigeria says the one they want, let it be. If Osibajo contests, Nigeria says the one they want, let it be. And again, you know, politics is different from all these hearsays. There's a whole lot of work you have to do to become president of a country. First of all, you have to start from the grassroots. You have to mobilize. You must have the followers. And above all, you must have the resources. So what are we doing to encourage those who have the resources, who can mobilize, whether they are youths or adults? People of goodwill. It the more the merrier. Let them come out so that Nigerians will have the opportunity to say, okay, you are the one we want. So I think what we need to discuss more is on the process leading to the election. So that at the end of the day, whoever emerges, the process will provide a credible candidate that everybody elected, not a candidate that will bring up a process that you can bamboozle your way to the presidency or via your party primaries and like that. So for me, these are the things I think we need to discuss, not personality, because by the time we whittle down the president of Nigeria to personalities, then we'll be missing the mark. So our mobilization, our attention should be more on the process leading to the election. That's my take, please. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. Let me bring in David. David, Andrew has said, because I asked Andrew a question about the personality of Bolatinubu and whether he thinks Bolatinubu is the kind of candidate who should be president of Nigeria. And Andrew says we should not focus on the personalities of the candidates. Rather, we should tell other people who are interested to come out and contest. Do you, do you agree with Andrew's analysis, David? Um, on on the surface, it's, it's it sounds it sounds correct, you know, ish. But um, I still think that that's still, there's there's a, there's the hint. It wasn't stated openly, but I think there's a hint of um, uh, sort of almost trying to be a sort of apologist for Bolatinambo. It wasn't open, as I said, but there's a hint of that, and I'll explain what I mean. The question was, uh, is this person's candidacy good? for Nigeria. The question wasn't, is this person um, legally qualified to be president of Nigeria? Uh, I mean, 
there are people on this call who are legally qualified to run for president of Nigeria. So that's 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 not a very high bar to scale. The issue is that of all the people who have a realistic chance of becoming president of Nigeria next year, realistic chance meaning people who have, as he said, the followership, the political structure, and the money, the resources, as he euphemistically <laughs> puts it, the money to make it happen. Who are the people who are least likely to constitute a danger to Nigerians? That's that's what the concern is. Right? And based on the, the 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 available fields that we're seeing, people who appear to have either openly declared or whose names are being pushed. So Bola Tinobu, Yemio Shimbajo, Amechi, Dave Omahi, Ojiuz Okalu, Peter Obi. Um, to be honest, like these, these are not, to be perfectly honest with you, none of these names especially aspire, uh, inspires excitement in me. But again, as we, as we know, uh, electoral politics or, or democracy isn't about looking for the sort of best possible candidates in the country. It's about looking for the sort of least terrible one of the available options. Right. And if, if we haven't learned that lesson from the Buhari candidacy and presidency after six and a half years of the mess that we've been through, then I don't know why we even have conversations like this. Because we there were similar conversations that we had in 2014 that does a Buhari candidacy should should a Buhari candidacy be a thing that should be that people with uh, with political heft and clout should be allowed to get behind? Like, should this be socially acceptable? And people came with these same disingenuous arguments that no, who are you to say? You know, anybody's allowed to have, have the ambition, you know, you know uh, they focus on what's, what's, uh, what their manifesto says and who, who is promising what, and you know, focus on your own candidate. And the truth, is, the truth is that electoral politics in Nigeria is not about, oh, go and, go and campaign for your candidate on Facebook. That's not going to do anything. The elections are not really decided <laughs> even in the ballot box. The elections are decided in rooms, in living rooms, and on telephone conversations where powerful people speak. That's where, those that's where the elections are decided. And if those powerful people, like they did in 2014, get the idea that it is that the political headwinds or, or the, it, the, the public opinion makes it possible for so-and-so person to, to fly as a candidate, and that's so and so person happens to be a Muhammad Buhari as well in 2014, or a Bola as it is now, then there's a problem. There is definitely a problem. So yeah, I absolutely and deeply fundamentally disagree with the validity of the Bola presidency. That person should not be anywhere near any position of power at all, especially not the presidency. We've already gone through six years of Buhari. I don't know why we want to do this to ourselves all over again. Thank you, David. Let me come to Phoenix. Phoenix, there's another dimension to the candidacy. I saw an article today written by a journalist explaining how nobody seems to know anything about Bolatinibu's history. Apparently, nobody seems to know what primary school, secondary school, university he attended. Nobody seems to know uh, who his friends are. Nobody seems to know where he worked. Nobody seems to know the source of his income. Um, what do you make of this? Do you, do you think that there's merit to, to these claims or do you think these are just smear tactics by his opponents trying to damage his candidacy? I think only, only someone who has uh, not followed Nigeria's politics over the last 20, 20 years will, will, um, will not pay attention to, to these um, comments by people. I mean, Bolatinu has been in all sorts of controversies, be it uh, where he's from, uh, his real name, his uh, his degree. If we remember, in the first uh, in the, in the, in, during the 1999-2007 era, there was a conversation around whether he actually got a degree. Um, um, I think it was was it Toronto or something. If, if you remember, and it became a University of Chicago. Exactly. And it became a euphemism back then that people started using to describe people with fake degrees. So this is not something that just came up today because he has 
decided to run for presidency. This is, uh, these are the controversies that have followed him all around. There have been the controversies around his, uh, the source of his, of his wealth, because people remember that he, this was somebody who went on exile um, during the Abacha era and Nadeko and all of that. And the, the stories are that he was practically, practically in penury. And then he comes back, he becomes governor of Lagos State, and eight years later, he practically owns uh, half of the state. So they, they, these are things that are out there. So it is not, it's not um, um, how would I put it, um, new um, to, the, to the population who followed our politics. And, it, and it's now on him, the onus is on him. Okay, you're putting yourself for, for public office, for the highest office in the land, prove them wrong. Come out with the details and let people understand. And then he starts to defend. I don't know if you saw, uh, I, I read one <laughs> where he was saying that he went to do an audit assignment and uh, uh, it was Deloitte, wasn't it? That he said credited his account with... Uh, it's a million dollars. I forget the actual number. And I was just, <laughs> I was like, this guy, he must know Nigerians and be, and be sure that he can, he can just say anything and get away with it. That's the kind of country that we have. So he really needs to be, to be held to account on that basis. And I totally agree with, with, um, with um, David when he says he should be nowhere near power. Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. I mean, his I mean, his his record, I mean, speaks for itself. He's the controversies, like I say, around him speak for themselves. And when somebody comes and says that we should not worry about personalities for people contesting for the president of Nigeria, I don't even care any other electoral position that you want to contest for in the world. The president of Nigeria, that we when we know fully well that that person. Who sits in that office is, is practically the be all and end all of this country. We've just seen a president who comes out on a live TV program and says state police is not an option, and that's it. Who decides that, oh no, I'm not happy with this electoral reform act, and decides that is how powerful the president of Nigeria is. And therefore, we, it, it is a, a civic duty for us to be interested in the personality of anyone who's carrying a campaign and saying that they want to run for that, especially I mean, going back to David's point, somebody who you think has a realistic chance of getting there, they must be scrutinized to the nth degree. And, and Bola Tinubu has been in the public eye for long enough for us to know that, yes, his candidacy must be absolutely scrutinized. And when you look at it, when you look at his, his record, when you look at who he is, he's not fit for that office. So that's my view. And for, for as long as we have this electoral season, that's what I will continue to say. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me ask Andrew. Andrew, do you know how Bola Tinubu made his money? Oh, thank you very much. This was the same question Mufai asked, uh, if I can remember, on Abdulmino. You see, I don't like the situation most of all these things are things we can verify. Me, I'm not supporting anybody, take that clear. But when we are discussing politics, sometimes it's actually good to know that politics overseas is not the same like politics in Nigeria. We must establish that. And it's a process that we are trying to learn as they say. Personally, I'm not a fan of the system of government because I felt it's all embedded in corruption. That's number one for me. And the system itself, personally, I'm against it. But be that as it may, you see, when candidates come out to election, it's very good we scrutinize them. But our scrutiny boils down to what? Our franchise, that's the only power we have. As I sit here, if I tell you, no, I don't like him, if, and it's only me and the voice of those who hear me. If I say, no, I like him, but in the sense of saying, no, I like him or not, I must have a concrete, point, not what he, not here says, or it's in the media, it doesn't publicize, it's everywhere, it's in the social media. Has it been established? These are the things, sometimes, that's why sometimes, it's most of the time, we make a whole lot of noise, and at the end of the day, all our noise boils down to nothing. When most politicians have their way, it's because, I'll give you an example. 
We are even discussing the president of Nigeria. Starting from the local politics, I am in Amak. The councillor representing me called for people to come and vote. How many of us comes out? Grassroots politics. That is where it starts from. That is the foundation. The president is, we, 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 the, 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 we, if I went each time I hear the youth, we have to go, we have to start it from the grassroots. There are a lot of things going on leading to the process of appointing the president. Let us, uh, let, let, I just want to be involved in a debate that will lead us somewhere so that we don't end up debating at the end of the day, all our, all our conversation in vain. What I'm trying to say is this, we must participate actively in the process. Let us encourage people. We might not be able, like he said, that politicians, I agree with him to an extent when he said he's decided by telephone, by the big shots, but from the grassroots, let's start taking over. That is the best way to go. Imagine us having the control of almost all councillors in Nigeria. Take it from there, we have control of all local government chairmen. We'll begin to change the process. This is where they, they claim their path. They are not, because we are free from the foundation, we don't have a say. Tomorrow, me and you will not be there to elect. If they are going by delegates, they won't be delegates. How do we participate then? During elections, if me and you don't come out to vote, most of those of us who stay in the cities, the Nigeria I know, nobody regulation in the cities. It is in the suburbs. That is why you see most cities, at least they are giving me, we don't come out to vote. And sometimes it's only in the presidential election we are interested in. After it's gone, it's gone. We are not interested in local elections, councillors. And, and, and sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you, Andrew, but I need I'm to see if I can pin you to answer this question. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. I am not, I am not a member of uh, AFCC or ICPC. I cannot investigate the source of somebody's wealth. All I hear is, for now, is hearsay. There are agencies of government that even this is where I expected journalists to do their work. Investigative journalism. Do it and put it to the public. I'm in a position to do that. If I am, I'll do it. Because you ask me a question that I cannot give you an answer. Because maybe the answer is no. Because how do you expect me to go and uh, investigate source of uh, volatile wealth? I don't have that web with that. And it's not my field. So journalists, who those who are into investigative journalism should do something and put it to the public. That's, that's my take. Thank you, Andrew. Let me ask, bring in David for the final comment on this topic. David, Andrew says, it is the job of investigative journalists to tell us Bonatinubu's source of wealth, and you guys need to put it out in the public space, that he doesn't know how Bonatinubu made his wealth, and it's not his job, that he says it's not EFCC, and he's not ICPC. You are a political journalist, David. How do you respond to this? Um, journalists have done their job already. There's no hearsay here. How Tinubu has made his money is a matter of public record. And it's not, it's not a story that was put out once, twice, three times. It's a story that has put out multiple times since the early 90s, starting from the, uh, the incidences of, of severe land fraud in Lagos, which was pretty much where he built the majority of his, his empire for basically land grabbing in Lagos, through the whole affair with, uh, with Alpha Beta, the, the tax collection, the private entity, which was somehow written into a law in Lagos State. So by law, a percentage of all the IGR generated in Lagos State goes to a private entity, which is owned by Volatinibu annually. These things are on public record. There's no hearsay here. It's on public record, and journalists have done their work repeatedly. So if people don't, if people have seen these stories and they've decided to see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, they've decided that they don't want to see it, and then they hide behind their self-imposed ignorance and say, "Oh, it's a journalist that have, journalist has not come to open my head and knock knowledge inside it." Well, I'm sorry, we've already done our job. I don't know what else we're expected to do. Thank you, David. We need to move on to our next topic now, which is the initial Twitter ban that President Buhari has now lifted. Phoenix, President Buhari says that issued a statement saying Twitter has now complied with the requirements that they gave them. And that is why he, in his benevolent will, 
has decided to lift the ban. So, but I want you to, first of all, talk us through the issues because there seems to be a lot of confusion as to what exactly was the reason for the ban in the first place. One group in the government says it was because Twitter was inciting hatred. Another group says it's because they deleted President Buhari's tweet. Another group seems to think it's because they, they've not been complying with Nigerian laws. So what, what, what caused this ban in the first place, uh, Phoenix? Thanks, Michael. Um, so, the, the, I mean, <laughs> the, ban, the ban, as we all know, um, went into effect because uh, Buhari's tweet was deleted. That was why the ban was, was placed. But of course, the, to save face, the government started contorting itself into different shapes to find other ways to justify the ban. So everything from, oh, they were not banned, to um, um, they, they, they avoid um, paying into the Nigerian economy. They take out so much, so they, we need to find a way to make sure they are registered, to uh, they allow uh, dissidents and all sorts of people say things. So it was just going from one story to the other to justify the primary reason why Twitter was banned was because Buhari's tweet was deleted. And therefore, in a fit of peak, they decided that they were going to uh, deal with Twitter. And so for seven months, they shut off um, um, officially, but of course, Nigerians found their way around it. Everybody downloaded a VPN and, and continued to speak. We do know that uh, those in the government circles, I mean, came off Twitter. We know that corporates also, uh, for fear of backlash, decided to stay away. The ordinary, well, ordinary Nigerians continued to tweet and to engage as best as they could under the circumstances, even though the telcos also did their best to try and shut people out. But anyone in doubt should be clear that the reason why uh, it was done was, was simply because uh, of, of the tweet that was deleted. Now, re removing the ban, again, uh, given the timing and what we've seen, it seems to coincide with the beginning of the electoral season towards 2023. Now, when they claim that uh, um, Twitter has acceded to, to the request, bearing in mind that some of the things that they're talking about, you probably won't see any traction. You know, if you claim that you've asked them to register in your country and begin to transact, you probably won't see any tra traction until this government is gone. So how do you really even hold them to account on that degree. Then all the stuff that they were claiming that they now have control to, to, to take action on what people say, those are standard things that exist elsewhere. So the long and the short of the story was they, they unwound the, the ban um, to, of course, uh, make sure that they don't lose the narrative during the electoral season. Thank you. Phoenix, now to David. I, I know you wrote a detailed thread disagreeing with the claims of the Buhari government. So in, in your view, David, did Twitter actually bend to the will of the Buhari government or is it as Phoenix claims, they basically reversed this ban because they needed to use Twitter for the politics season, David? So to answer that question, the easiest thing to do is to go read the press release that the government put out when they lifted the ban. So the, the points which were buried somewhere in the body of the press release, which they tried to dress up as some sort of fantastic achievement on their part, the points listed were that uh, Twitter is going to uh, supposedly register a, a legal business entity in Nigeria with the Corporate Affairs Commission, that Twitter is going to start paying tax in Nigeria, and then the clause that caused the most confusion, which they were trying to you know, create a certain narrative with, that Twitter has given them access to, to the partner program and the global law enforcement program. And then the language they used immediately after that, which was very misleading, actually more than misleading, it was actually false. The phrase that was used was that this program, uh, gives uh, it's a program 
where something to the effect of uh, Twitter and governments directly manage content on the site. So the inference of that of, of that of that phrase was that the Nigerian government essentially is going to have the, di the direct ability to to uh, take action on on Twitter's platform with regard to what Nigerians say. In other words, if you don't if you say something Nigerian government doesn't like, Nigerian government can get your tweet removed or get your account suspended or that sort of thing. That was the inference. And then their usual, you know, DMC cheerleaders started running around with that narrative. I started basically trying to drive drive the narrative that somehow if if you, if you say something that the that the current administration might not like, that somehow the current administration has somehow arm twisted Twitter such that now the current administration has the power to mess with your account or to delete your tweets, which is completely false, right? And so one thing I've, I've come to understand about this particular government is that this government does not rate Nigerians highly at all. This government really genuinely believes that Nigerians are, are, are functionally stupid people. It genuinely believes that. So a lot of the time, you will just see someone who just put out a statement, which is just completely false, knowing full well that everyone, both the people reading it and even the supposed fourth estates, Right, the journalism establishment, who just uncritically reproduce that press release, and nobody will ask any questions. Nobody will fact check it. Everything to just fly. Right. So the very the very first thing that I did was I went to find out what exactly is this global partner program and what is this global law enforcement program. First of all, the partner program, pretty much like it, it doesn't really it's not relevant to a government. A partner program is more of a commercial thing right the only thing the only uh the 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 relevance that i would say that the partner program has to this uh issue is probably with regard to tax payments right then the global law enforcement program which is where the real beat of the matter is actually if you spend five minutes researching this thing you'll find out that several governments around the, dozens of governments around the world are already enrolled in this tool, this global law enforcement program. All it is, is basically a portal where uh, governments of countries, so for example, the UK government is enrolled in this tool. So if you, for example, say something which is considered to be against the law in the UK, so I, uh, uh, inciting hate against uh, minorities, for example, is, is illegal in the UK. So if you go on Twitter in the UK and then basically start you know trying to spark a race riot or you know that sort of thing so, yeah the uk government or the the, rele the relevant part of the uk government can basically flag that that uh, tweet or your account with twitter and then twitter will then investigate that that claim right it's not as if the uk government then gets to decide to take your tweet offline or, or suspend your account for the avoidance of doubt there is no government on earth that has that power not the UK government, not the US government, you know, which oversees the country that, you know, Twitter has its actual servers in. No government on earth has that power. Twitter alone reserves the right to determine what happens to the content on its platform. So all this, this program does is that it gives governments essentially, it's essentially just a whistleblower tool for governments. It's essentially just, it's like you're going to report something to the police, that's all. It doesn't mean that you are the one that is fighting crime. They're just reporting something, that's all it is. So they took that and they went and wrote it. So it's like, you took a guided tour of, of, of the BBC as a university student. And later on, you go and write in your CV that you were, you were an intern at, at the BBC. That's what this government did, right? They took that, which is a, a complete non-achievement. Like you can get registered, you can get enrolled in that program by just asking. You don't have to ban Twitter in your country to get enrolled in that program. You can just ask, are you enrolled? And then they took that, and then dressed it up as this, oh, we, we, we strong arm them. And you know, after seven months of, of, not, of not being operational in Nigeria, Twitter has somehow, like they need Nigeria so much. We have proved how important we are to them. So they've given us backend access, which is total, utter bullshit. It's not true. So this, this is the, the fundamental issue that I have 
with the media relations of this Buhari administration is that they genuinely do not rate the intelligence of Nigerians. They genuinely think Nigerians are stupid people. So they just come out and say absolutely anything, expecting, hoping and expecting that nobody is going to do a simple Google search on this thing. Nobody's going to do the slightest attempt at a fact check. They will just say something and it will just fly. Thank you, David, for this clarification. So what you're saying in effect is that the Buhari government did not really gain any concessions. The so-called policing powers they think they've gained are, are powers that anybody could have accessed anyway. But let me ask Andrew. Andrew, the, the broader question is a lot of Nigerians lost, the, the data says Nigerians lost over 10 billion in business opportunities because the Buhari government banned Twitter. Now tell me, based economically, the, the argument is that it made no sense. And also groups like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have also said that the ban on Twitter was a fundamental breach of human rights. So Andrew, in your view, is this right? Was, was Buhari right to ban Twitter when you consider the business lost, businesses that lost opportunities and the human rights element, Andrew? Thank you very much. Again, we really have to be careful not to, we are talking something that is national interest and individual interest. You see, personally, I have my reservations concerning the ban on Twitter, but circumstances surrounding it. I remember early last year, it was celebrated in the media. I was somebody, I guess, that Twitter have moved their headquarters from Nigeria to Ghana, I can remember. And I was saying, wow, they said that is a binos. I said, okay. Me, when I heard they've agreed to come back, my mind just flashed back to, how about the, initially on their own, they moved the headquarters out of Nigeria. Economically, yes, Nigeria lost. Twitter also lost. I remember their share value dropped by something two point something percent, if I am correct. So it was not all for me, it's a win-win situation. But the thing is this, we really have to be careful. The way media works in the Western world is not the same right here in Africa, mostly in Nigeria. We don't have control over fake news. And it's a really bad thing. Whether we like it or not, yes, everybody is free to hear his opinion. But the opinion of some certain individuals via this uh, social media avenues have resulted to a lot of damage. If we really love our country, this is not the time to say Twitter or the federal government. Whether you like it or not, the decision the government has taken, whether it affects me or you or not, is the decision of Nigeria because it's the legitimate government in power. It is how can we try to find out the positives that will make our country great. Is that what you say? Banning of Twitter, yes. It affected a whole lot of Nigerians. Those startup businesses, those who have their customers online, services, etc. But on the other hand, Twitter has also done a lot of damage. Because if you look at what happened, there was a tweet that Mr. President responded to. It might be personal, but considering his position as Mr. President, there is some personal, and just my personal opinion. I don't think Twitter they were right for pulling up that, that tweet. And that was what resulted to this. But be that as it may, it's a win-win situation both for Nigeria and for Twitter as a private entity. Now, what I like, they will be paying tax. I don't know the value of the tax they will be paying. I think that's another added advantage to Nigeria. They are saying, okay, they're opening for political reasons. I might not say yes or no. But I now know that, yes, millions of Nigeria who were heart of Twitter now have the advantage of coming back to do their business and to continue uh, networking and the likes of them. So for me, it's a win-win situation for both Nigeria and Twitter. Sorry, can I just come in somewhere and just briefly correct something? At no point, yes, quote unquote, move its headquarters from Nigeria to Ghana. Twitter never had any presence in Nigeria, much less headquarters. Twitter's headquarters is in San Francisco. What actually happened was Twitter was looking for a base in West Africa, and they chose Ghana over Nigeria. They never, moved, they never moved from Nigeria to Ghana. So I'm not sure where you got that information from. Thank you. And then trying to link 
the supposed uh, drop in share price of Twitter to uh, Twitter bad. No, it did not happen, Andrew. Please don't don't spread like, uh, wrong. I'm not information. sure why again. You I'm, not sure, I'm not you sure if this, the thing, if this is the thing about this government. This government just comes out and just says absolutely anything. And I think we're seeing evidence of this now. You know, well educated people on, on this on this podcast, you know. So you can't just say things. It's 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 amazing. I mean <laughs> it's amazing. Seriously. Okay, so can we allow no, Andrew? Can we allow Andrew quickly respond? So Andrew, no, we can't Andrew allow him to respond now because we have to we have to address the points that he has said. I mean, like David's okay. absolutely right. How can you come and tell us that Twitter's share price dropped because Nigeria banned Twitter? Are you joking? Nigeria banned Twitter on the fifth of June, the share, which was a which was a Saturday. The market opened on on the seventh of June, and Twitter's share price within, went up within June. Within June. Within that period, what happened, what happened in June? What happened in June? The share price on the on the last day of the market before the ban was fifty nine dollars. By Go the ahead. end of June, it was already in the in the high sixties. What are you talking about? I said, I said within June. Publicly, this is publicly available information. December. What are you talking about? June and December. That's what I said. Yes. Your information is false. It's false. Just like what you're saying is wrong. Totally wrong. Okay. Andrew, you, you have the final word. Do you have something to say before we move on to the next topic? No, no, no. I don't have. Okay. So uh, we, we, there's, there's clearly a disagreement here, but I just want to ask Phoenix one, one question. Um, Phoenix, Andrew said Twitter was wrong to delete Buhari's tweets. Do you, do you agree with that? No, I don't. No, I don't. They gave their reasons for doing so. I do not. At that very point in time, I, I was one of those that called for, the, for, for, for not only the deletion of the tweets, but they should have actually suspended him for threatening genocide against a section of the country. How, how can that be wrong? How can that be wrong? And they looked into, they looked into the tweet, they looked at their own rules of, of their platform, and it clearly went against the rules. How can it be wrong? Thank you, Phoenix. Now let's move on to our final topic. Now, over 200 people are alleged to have been killed in Zamfara State. The reports in the newspapers have called them gunmen suspected to be bandits attacking nine communities uh, within a district called the Bukyum District in Zamfara State. So firstly, let me come to you, Phoenix. 200 people in any other part of the world, that, that is a major disaster if 200 people in a country are killed in a day. But there seem to be no serious reaction from the Nigerian government. Phoenix, why, why is this? And on the other hand, also, it seems like we have no real response to these killings. What, what is going on, Phoenix? We have a president who doesn't care about, about the people who put him in office. That's, that's what you see time and time and, uh, again. I mean, you, you, I mean, it's almost like Nigerians are becoming numb to this numbers of people dead this week, dead this month, dead that month. Just last week, he was having a conversation with um, um, two uh, journalists from, from, uh, from channels and claiming that uh, the security situation in the Northwest had improved. He said that on a, on a nationally televised uh, program claiming that he, I mean, he had done some work. And then within a few days, the bandits reminded him that no, you haven't done anything and you're not doing anything. And as usual, go, uh, mom's the word. They don't respond, they don't, they don't you know, um, show any remorse or show, you know, a, a show care for the people who, not only for those who are dead, but for those they leave behind. But he's able to go traipsing around in the name of politics, you know, paying condolence visits for this one is dead there, that one is dead there, where there are um, so-called important people in the society. But when ordinary Nigerians who he has failed to protect are failed, are killed, nothing, we hear nothing. So 
This is a this is a president who came in promising to deal with the security problems, trumping up his um, ex-military leader credentials. Even on that same interview, he reminded us that yes, he, he used to be a general in the army, and on that basis, um, he knows what to have done. And and but I mean, by all metrics, he is uh, an absolute failure. Um, because we can see very clearly that the security situation in Nigeria has worsened under his presidency. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no metric that you want to measure by that will tell you anything otherwise. So that, so that one is clear. So, I mean, God rest the dead and uh, may their souls rest in peace. But uh, you know, sometimes you look at these things and you're like thankful that maybe one more year and at least you're rid of him. And, and like we were, we've been saying, um, let's ensure that the person who, I mean, I saw a prayer on Twitter over the weekend, where someone said, let's, let's, let's pray or, or hope that mm -hmm. the person who takes over doesn't make us uh, um, long for this person that we have now, this Buhari chap. I, 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 I mean, I struggle to see how that is possible, but, this is Nigeria, so we, we truly have to say that prayer. Thank you, Phoenix. Now let me come to Andrew. Andrew, Phoenix has basically said Buhari does not care about the killings taking place in the country. And in effect, Buhari has lost control security-wise. He came into office promising to secure the country, but he's failed woefully. Do you agree with Phoenix, Andrew? I did not agree. I stay in Nigeria. I stay in Abuja. Proud to Buhari coming. I'm not saying I'm happy with what is going on on ground, but just get me clear. Proud to Buhari coming to power. Even within Abuja, you can't access most of the main access roads. They were all barricaded. The main Abuja, whether you were in Use, the police station axis, even the first headquarters in Abuja, we had to be using one lane. Others barricaded, barricaded. You go to churches, you can't enter. You have to be screened as if you are going for, or, or you are going to visit the villa. That, by that be that as it may, even if a soul, one soul, is killed in a very wrong way, I disagree. Every human being matters. You see, the issue personally, I'm telling you, Nigeria, the killings in Nigeria have been politicized. And if we continue like this, we are going to head, end badly because politicians, personally, that is my view, have taken over this dastardly heart that is going on in Nigeria. Two, Buhari came to power promising security, promising end to corruption, promising all that. But now when it comes to security, I'm always very, very careful. I am never in support of the killings in Nigeria. But if you look at it very well, I will never support political killings. The earlier Nigerians stand up and condemn it together collectively, both those in power and those out of power. Because if you look at it, all of us, we are blaming government, government. What are other people doing? Because if we could be, I'm in Nigeria and I know what is going on. So please, the latest cleanings of, I listened to the governor today. I'm not about question. he said allegedly, because he said it's 50 something people that died. Whether it's even one or two that were killed, it's very, very wrong. Sometimes I even imagine if it's me. So for me, Nigerians collectively need to rise up. I am in support of even Mr. President declaring a state of emergency. In all these places that this, unnecessary killings are going on. Maybe I don't know the reason why. Personally, if I have my way, I will declare a state of emergency in the whole of Northeast and Northwest so that we put an end to all this unnecessary killing. Remember very well, these things did not just start today. It's just uh, coming into the fore. I remember most of Gonobere when he was campaigning, I listened to one of his campaigns in 2014 to 2015 that eight local government area in Castina were already in the hands of bandits or 
they call it cattle rustlers. You know, the name continued to change from banditry to cattle rustlers and the likes of them. It is, these things have been going on since. It is now that it's coming really to bed. So I personally will call on Mr. President to declare a state of emergency in Zamfara. Total state of emergency that will be able to clear up all this mess and let us have our peace. That's my take. Thank you, Andrew. I just want to pin, I just want to pick you to clarify two things. So firstly, are you saying the president has not failed in his promise on security? And secondly, you, you've made reference to political killings. So are you saying these killings taking place are motivated by some sort of opposition, political actors? Is that what you're saying? That's my take. I'm not saying all, oh, because the way things, I'm in Nigeria, the way things are going, listen, there is nobody personally, even as a leader, that you watch your people die. I have, I can't imagine it. But again, I, I, a military actually told me, if they had to go by way of what we expected, there would be colossal damage. I said, why? I don't want to say what it will become, but the fire remains that for me, Buari has done his best, he's leaving. What we need to do, if I am to advise Buari today, I will ask him to declare state of emergency in Zamfara. That's my take. State of emergency in Zamfara. Anywhere there are banditry or cultural rosa, whichever name you give to them, declare total state of emergency. So allow the military to go in and clear the forest, clear everywhere so that we'll have our peace. Maybe for political reasons, himself is not so ready to do it. And maybe that's why his hands are tied. I don't know. Thank you, Andrew. Let me bring in David. David, Andrew has said two things. He says, first of all, Buhari has not failed on the question of uh, security. And secondly, he says these killings are politically motivated by enemies of the president who are trying to use this for political benefits. Is, is, is this correct, David? You're the political journalist? To be honest, um, the, how do they say it? Uh, to, uh, there's a particular expression that I'm looking for. Something to the effect of, basically, you can't wake up strongly and pretend to sleep, or uh, you can't explain something to someone whose, whose salary depends on him not understanding it. Right? This is a recorded conversation. So obviously, if he says anything else apart from what he has said, he's going to lose his job. So what else is he going to say? <laughs> so I don't. He he knows very well that he's not being sincere. Yeah. Well, his entire thing, why he hasn't failed on security, really? Okay. I mean, if 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 all of us on this call are still going to have everything we said here today, if we still have all these exact same opinions in eighteen months' time, then you know. That'll be a different matter. But for as long as you know the the opinions that we hold are are essentially you know what what guarantee that food is going to be on our, on our table next month, then you know we'll hold the opinions that we have. Because what else are we going to do? It's the reality. It's what it's what Nigeria makes people do. You know, because I don't know how you would you even if you're you don't need to be a journalist. To know this, all you have, all you need to do is just have followed the news cycle over the past few years. That's it. it that's all the that's all the information that you need. The security situation now is worse than at any other time, including under Good Lord Jonathan, and this is on public record. This is documented fact. Even at the very worst of the time, I believe it was 2014, when I believe there were three, was it three. Three entire local government areas that weren't under the jurisdiction of that, that weren't under the control of the Nigerian state anymore at the time. Yeah. That was a huge scandal back then. Now it's much more than that. There are entire there are entire parts of northern Nigeria which I just referred to as ungoverned spaces. That's how they are known in, in, in international development lingo. Ungoverned spaces. Even aid workers don't even go there anymore. It's an ungoverned space. It's not even, you can't even identify the, the particular set of people that is in control. Is it Boko Haram? Is it Iswap? Is it Ansaru? Is it the so you know, quote unquote bandits? Is it herdsmen? Who exactly is it that is in control here? We have no idea. There are just all sorts of groups from Sahel just running absolutely riots. 
people are dying in industrial quantities now. And I, well, because Buhari is president, none of this matters anymore. Buhari, the fact of Buhari being president is more important than people's lives. You know, but at, at the end of the day, the the the, the, the people who who represent the people who directly represent the people who are dying, political representatives of this people, aren't really interested either because those ones to also value the, the presidency of Buhari over the lives of their own their own constituents. So ultimately, it's it's not a Nigeria's problem, in my opinion. You know, so there's there's only so much that people like me can do. I mean, I was I was I was part of the team that put together a report which got Nigeria placed on a special diplomatic. Oh, the report that established the existence of the genocide in the middle of that. I was on that team. We traveled to, to the, the, the north and the middle belt several times. Like the first time I ever smelt burning human flesh in my life was in 2019 when we went to Kadru in Kaduna State to document one of those attacks. And we put together this report, and this report was made to the very highest levels of the US government, presented it to Mike Pence and to former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And this report got Nigeria placed on that list for uh, violators of, 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 of religious freedoms, even though that was what we were asking for, what we actually wanted was for a special envoy to be appointed. You know, and despite all of that now, you know, some of them come and insult my intelligence and say, no, Bahari has, you know, this security situation now is fine. I, I remember seeing a headline earlier today, I think it was my bunny saying that, oh, we now sleep with two eyes closed. So at the end of the day, as I said, when a man's salary depends on him not understanding something, or a man uh, is pretending to be asleep, you can't wake him up. That if your, your benefactor or the, the, the person your benefactor works for is Mamad Buhari, and obviously you're never going to see anything wrong with Mamad Buhari. You're not going to say anything else apart from Mamad Buhari is best thing since sliced bread. Nothing is ever his fault. Anything that is that has gone wrong is the fault of his enemies who are trying to discredit him. You know, the all that rhetoric that that we that we used to hear in 2014 about how the box stops at the president's table. The president is the one in charge. And if he and if the people around him blame other people, then it's a sign of irresponsibility. Apparently all, all those things were just English. As we do in Nigeria. We're just verbalizing. We're just talking. We didn't mean what we were saying because we're saying those exact things now. It's not the president's fault. It's never the president's fault. You know, if if <laughs> if the so-called bandits or whoever storm Asso Rock or storm Ikeja tomorrow and kill a thousand people in broad daylight, I guarantee you, someone like Andrew will still come on this podcast and will find a way not to blame the president. It will still be someone else's fault. It's just what it, it's what Nigeria does to people. And it's what I've come to expect. I don't really expect any better. I don't. I, I would have been shocked when you said that someone from Nigerian government is, you know, was coming to speak. I'd have been shocked if he said anything apart from what, exactly what he said today. So it is what it is. I'm not surprised and I'm not disappointed. Thank you, David. Uh, final question goes to Phoenix. Phoenix, we have about two minutes to go. So you've listened to David's uh, argument, which is that all the data from international bodies, including the domestic ones like SBM Intelligence, uh, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, they're all saying the same thing, which is that insecurity appears to have deteriorated since 2015. But Andrew insists that no, things have gotten better. So I want to get your view. Is, is there... Do you think there's a, there's a nuanced midway there? He says Abuja used to be safe. Abuja used to be unsafe on the Jonathan, but now Abuja is safe. So, so do you do you think Andrew no, has a point no, somewhere? No, 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 you're misquoting me. Okay, so re rephrase your point, then, Andrew. If if what you think you, I'm, you miss you are misquoting me. I said I've been. I know what the security situation has been. I'm not saying things are getting better. Mark me very well. I only said my take and my view and what I feel is responsible for the escalation. Listen, back my word, is that it has turned out to be more or less of a political war now than ordinary banditry. That's where me, I said. I didn't say, I didn't even mention any, I said, I've been in Abuja and I know what it used to be. That's what I told you. 
I didn't mention any name of a regime or any, you are the one saying it now. Did I mention President Jonathan? No. I said, I know what Abuja used to be and what we passed what, through. What, in what period was Abuja I, that way? Because I, you, you told us it was by exactly. It used to be when exactly. Exactly. That's where I stay. For now, I said the banditry in the Northeast and Northwest. I even give you an example. When Masari was campaigning to the governor of Kansas, almost of them, in one of his campaigns, I, I'm just trying to remember the date. In one of his feed, he said, who oh, eight local government area under Arthur Rosslas and Bandit is going to take that. You remember when he started? All of, even when what did they do? They started with what? Negotiation. Negotiate, negotiate with bandits. Pay ransom. Everybody was going there. Did that something work? So these are the things. I'm not taking you through a process. I did not say. So don't misquote me. So what it has got to, as I speak to you, that's what I've seen from my own personal experience. What is going on now has gone beyond before it was farmers elders. He graduated now to kidnappers and now it has graduated to banditry. Now it has even graduated to foreigners coming in. So these are the things I'm trying to explain to you. Not that I'm saying that uh, 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 this other regime was bad with security. No, 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 no. I'm only telling you what I feel is the reason behind the increase. In so that's, that's it, so don't misquote me. Okay, let me let me give the final word to Phoenix then. Two minutes, Phoenix, to respond to Andrew. One minute. We we heard what Andrew said, and uh, I think for me the, the the key point is always this: whenever I find supporters of this government, it's always defaults to Abuja. It's 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 it. I mean, they will always tell you, oh, there used to be bomb blasts in Abuja. It doesn't happen anymore. So you've managed to secure Abuja, but ceded the rest of the country. And therefore that is a pass mark in, in your book. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's, it shocks me. I remember that in 2015, the number one security issue that, that was prevalent in the country was Boko Haram. Today we have crisis in almost every part of the country. You have the Northwest that we were just talking about 200 people dead. I mean, only recently, uh, the the uh, was it the boss that was uh, that was with people inside that were burnt alive. So the whole northeast is is gone. You have the north, uh, sorry, the northwest. The northeast continues to rage with with, with Boko Haram or ISWAP or whatever you call it. You have the north north central with your with your farmer head with your head, head headsmen uh, doing their bit. Then when you come south, all, all of a sudden there, there are different instances of things. So the whole country has one security crisis or another. And somebody would then tell me that that is not a, a mark of failure because what is the opposite of failure then? Have we seen an improvement? And, it, and, and very quickly defaults to Abuja was barricaded. We couldn't move around. Now we can move around. So we in Abuja are fine, but everybody else in the country can can uh, sort themselves out. So for me, that's, I mean, again, I totally agree with David. <laughs> I was not surprised. You get it every single time. And it's just a question of, I mean, we have hard facts. We have, I mean, if there's, I mean, you can, there was a lot of propaganda in the lead up to, uh, 2014, 2015, and all of that, and, and people will take sides. What I know and I've seen over the last seven years is that Nigerians have taken an interest and, and we have seen a cataloging of a presidency. There's nobody that will come here and come and tell us rubbish. We, we've all seen what has happened over the last seven years. So there's nothing, there's nothing you can come and say that people will not be able to push back on you. Because we've we've watched and we've seen and we've and we've cataloged what exactly went every single thing that went wrong. I kept a, a, almost like a journal that I was capturing this presidency. I turned it into a book in the run-up into the 2019 elections. Nobody's going to come and tell me stories about the Buhari presidency. Must be a joke. So I mean, I don't have anything else to add on this matter. It is clear. But I think to, to do our podcast justice, the focus will be on looking forward and again, focusing on, on those who may take over. I've signed off on the Buhari presidency. There's no, there's no redemption in that underscore. Thank you, Phoenix. 
Our time is up. So firstly, I must thank our two guests. Thank you, David. And thank you, Andrew. Both of you, thank you for taking time out to be here. Thank, thank you. you, Phoenix. Thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting this podcast with me. Thank you to our listeners for always being loyal and giving us helpful feedback. Once again, I apologize for my voice. I blame my secondary school friends at the Air Force School in Ibadan for doing this to me over the weekend. I, I can barely speak. But until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew and David, for joining us. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Michael. You should remember that you're an old man now, so take it easy on those <laughs> weekends. And thanks, listeners. Uh, have a great week, everyone.